0: Wake up. It's the Sleep Unplugged Podcast, episode 75, eating at night. Bittersweet I could taste in my mouth. Welcome everyone to the Sleep Unplugged Podcast. My name is Chris Winner. I'm a neurologist and sleep expert. And most importantly, your host for this week's episode, episode, which would be an interesting one. We're back to talking about parasomnias again. And the parasomnias related to eating at night are really interesting ones that we should know about. So we're going to talk about them today. Really excited for you to be here. If you're new to the podcast, welcome to Sleep Unplugged and its family. If you're a veteran of the Sleep Unplugged podcast, welcome back. We're glad you're here. Happy holidays. Hope you had a wonderful time during your Thanksgiving break. Got a lot of good eating and reuniting and shopping done. Our last episode, the second annual sleep gift giving guide was a big success. Want to give another big shout out to all the merchants and companies that participated with the podcast, gave us discount codes. I hope you found them helpful and you've already gotten presents and you've gotten them wrapped and you're ready to go and you can just relax for the next few weeks leading up to Christmas. If you want to get in touch with the show, let us know what shopping you've done. If you want to uh, purchase something or tell us about one of the purchases you've made, want to buy one of my books or one of my hats, like our uh, friend Brendan did, who we'll talk about in a minute, you can contact the show at drchriswinner on Twitter, drchriswinner, Instagram, threads, blue sky, TikTok, You can find us on our Sleep Unplugged YouTube page where we post the videos of all of our content. We hope you're enjoying the music that we talk about at the top of each show. You can find it on the Spotify playlist. Just search up Sleep Unplugged playlist volume one for last season and volume two for this season. Before we get into the music and the title of our show couple things a correction from our sleep inertia podcast number 73 we were talking about the AO sleep device actually it was the i think we talked about sleep inertia we talked about AO in two two episodes sleep inertia and the the last one our sleep gift guide the sleep, AO is the little blue glasses that you put on in the morning the blue light wakes and kind of helps to wake you up it can be used for shift work and jet lag and we mentioned that there was a big study going on at the university of arizona and i said our good friend michael grandner is probably in going uh, in charge of that and he actually contacted the show and said hey heard your podcast and actually no it's not me it's actually scott kilgore So I'll give a shout out to Scott Kilgore and the awesome uh, research he's doing with the United States Navy and the AO device. Uh, The AO people gave us a discount code just to remind you it's sleep unplugged when you check out for an additional 25% off the actual device that the military is using and Scott Kilgore at the University of Arizona is studying at his lab. We had... I mentioned in the last podcast that I reordered new trucker hats. We have our Sleep Unplugged awards show coming up at the very end of the year. and We give out trucker hats as awards, but you can buy the trucker hat for $25. And friend of the podcast, Brendan, wrote in and said, hey, I want to buy one. So we bought a podcast. And he said, I think it'd be really cool. Uh, I'll read what he wrote. If you would add some awareness of children's sleep and charity groups, during this holiday season. I thought that was a great idea. It might need to be part of something we do on a regular basis, or we mention a charity at the beginning of each podcast during the month of December. We'll have to think on this, but he mentioned three that seemed like they really were worthy of a shout out. So we want to shout out Brendan for buying the Sleep Unplugged Hat. Appreciate your support of the podcast. He mentioned shp beds Um, you can find them on instagram at shp beds if you type that in and that's sleep in heavenly peace beds they build beds for kids who have needs and then and like brendan said they really are serious about building these beds with their own hands so every kid has a great bed in which to sleep there's a similar organization in Minnesota called My Very Own Bed. And you can find them on Instagram at My Very Own Bed. And if you pop that in there, it's a nonprofit organization of a group of people who feel like every kid should have their own bed so they can sleep well, dream, and find comfort in a place of their own. And I think that's really interesting, especially as we sort of lead into this conversation about sleep-related eating, about how we use the bed as a source of comfort, as a refuge, and sometimes when that goes awry, it can be very problematic. The last one he mentioned, Brendan mentioned that he wanted to give a shout out to was EJ's PJs, and there's a group in Long Island that makes sure kids have pajamas to sleep in, and you can look them up. EJ, that's E is an Elephant J is in Jackal. So EJ's with an S. PJ's. Uh and, and their um Instagram is EJ. Let's see. Their their Instagram also is E I think let's see here. Sorry, EJ's EJ's PJ's pajama drive. So EJS PJ pajama drive, you can find them on Instagram. They're doing great things as well too. So thank you very much, Brendan. So to start a song or uh, show off, we always talk about a song. This week's song was the hardest part, which was the fourth single off Coldplay's third album, XY, that was released. I think the album was released in 2000 end of 2005, beginning of 2006. the single released in April 2006. This was the fourth single off the album. One of my favorite Coldplay albums and really completed a trilogy of albums, Parachutes, Cold Rush of Blood to the Head, and XY, which I think are are pretty perfect. Let's Talk um, was on that album. And, and the other song that I really liked was Fix You, which was a song that Chris Martin wrote for his wife, Gwyneth Paltrow's father, who passed away. And I almost used a line from Fix You for our Sleep Inertia podcast we had in episode 73, when you feel so tired, stuck in reverse. I thought that was a really good line for our Sleep Inertia, but we went with the Shaky Graves I Can't Wake Up album title. So wonderful album. I I really kind of fell off with Coldplay after their third album, but I think those first three albums are just perfect and so many great songs on there. So we'll put on their hardest part, as well as we'll throw Fix You on the the Spotify playlist for the Sleep Unplugged music. So if you're following along, that's on volume two, Sleep Unplugged. We'll add those two songs to the playlist. So let's get into eating at night, which is a really interesting phenomenon. It occurs in a lot of individuals. It's thought that about 1% to 5% of individuals out there have some problem with eating at night. And eating at night is sort of separated into two disorders when we talked about talk about them as sleep-related professionals. There is what we refer to as nocturnal sleep-related eating disorder. N-S-R-E-D. There is also night eating syndrome. And really, when we get into the distinctions of this two, which we will get into, we generally think of night eating syndrome being differentiated from nocturnal sleep-related eating disorder by consciousness, meaning that individuals who struggle with nocturnal sleep-related eating disorder are not aware that they're eating at night. Individuals with night eating syndrome are, so they have a conscious, they know what they're doing at night versus the nocturnal sleep-related eating disorder individual waking up and being surprised that there is food out in the kitchen and not having any awareness that they consumed it. Some individuals think of these disorders as being part of the same. I don't. I consider them to be separate entities with that confusion or lack of awareness being central to the diagnosis. I think of nocturnal sleep related eating disorder as being a bit more of a parasomnia. I think of night eating syndrome as being a bit more of an eating disorder, but there's certainly elements of parasomnia, eating disorder, sleep disturbance. there's sort of a mixture of all of those things within these two concepts. And when you look at individuals who are struggling with these disorders, you often see a significant amount of weight gain. And in the case of nocturnal sleep-related eating disorder, it's the weight gain that is often the clue that something's going on, especially if that individual lives by themselves. Uh, There is a degree of insomnia that often goes along with the disorder and to some degree shame and embarrassment that that highlights both of these types of things. And when you look at these disorders, there's often a much higher prevalence of eating disorders within these two groups. So if you look at a population uh, that do not have eating disorders, there was a study that looked at those individuals compared to individuals who were in outpatient treatment for eating disorders and inpatient or hospitalized patients who are being treated for eating disorders, sort of a bit more serious. 4% prevalence in the non-eating disorder group, 8% in the outpatient eating disorder group, in the inpatient eating disorder group. So there seemed to be a relationship in that study between eating disorders and these sleep disorders. We'll start with nocturnal sleep-related eating disorder, NSRED. The first case was reported, I think, back in the mid-50s, but it was really two researchers from Minnesota that really put this disorder on the map. And that was Carlos Schenk and Mark Maywald, both from Minnesota, uh, huge in the field, got the Bill DeMint Sleep Research Award in 2007 for being real pioneers in the field. Unfortunately, Mark Maywald passed away from complications related to a stroke back in 2020, I believe. But Carlos Schenk is still going strong. In fact, I heard him speak at the Virginia Sleep, Sleep, Sleep Society, Virginia Academy of Sleep medicine meeting not too long ago and was just delightful in a, a world of knowledge. So when you look at these individuals, again, the sleep-related eat, nocturnal eating disorder, people are completely unaware of what they're doing when it comes to these um, disorders. And when you look at what they're eating, there's often a distinction in terms of the content and way they eat between these Individuals and the night eating syndrome. These individuals are eating aggressively. They're eating high caloric types of foods. They are messy and often dangerous with eating them in order. In other words, they're eating, heating up coffee and you know, scooping it out of the pot with their hands and trying to drink it and you know, burning their hands or burning their mouth. They can sometimes eat items that are not prepared properly they can sometimes eat items that are not even food items you know the classic cigarette sandwich putting cigarettes between two loaves of bread and eating them or cooking chocolate you know somebody's gotten into the cooking chocolate and you know put it in some you know rolled it in some flour and just ate it and and often there's a tremendous mess that's left behind in fact one patient was accusing her family of making a mess in the kitchen when later on she saw, you know, staining on her bedclothes and realized she was the one that was actually getting up and eating that, even though she had absolutely no recollection whatsoever. Toxic items, uh, you know, non-edible items, you know, all kind and anything can really be up for grabs. And often this relates, you know, not only to weight gain. But also some degree of injury or danger that can go along with with eating these items. When you compare these individuals to night eating syndrome, once again, there is an awareness of the eating, so there's often not this kind of behavior that's going along with it. That individual got up, consciously made a you know big sandwich. I'm thinking about that because of a patient who eats sort of a hoagie kind of you know hero sandwich every night cleans up, and goes to bed, and absolutely has to have that sandwich in order to go back to sleep, or so he thinks. So not only is there consciousness, unconsciousness, but really the chaos, danger, disorder, dysfunctional eating of the nocturnal sleep-related eating disorder distinguishes it from the night eating syndrome. So when you think about diagnosis, in neither of these studies is a sleep study necessary, but it can sometimes be helpful in terms of determining you know, what might be going on. So when we think about the diagnostic criteria for nocturnal sleep-related eating disorder, there are four criteria, all four must be met. And the first one is recurrent episodes of dysfunctional eating that occur at night. That's, that's sort of a hallmark of the disorder. Number two, or B, it's A, B, C, D, B is actually divided into two, where you have to have at least of one of the following associated conditions. One is you're consuming consumption of peculiar forms or combinations of food. And number two, sleep-related injuries or potentially in potential injury related to the lack of consciousness as it relates to cooking the food. So number two is sort of related to the unusual nature of the food and the chaos we just spoke about. C is the lack of consciousness or awareness, which is extremely important. And then D, which is always thrown in there, this is not better related or explained by something else. And we'll get into that in terms of medications and things of that nature that might be responsible for this. So an individual who is constantly intoxicated and comes home and eats food and doesn't remember the next day, is that nocturnal sleep-related eating disorder? Is that just somebody doing things when they're intoxicated with alcohol and then not remembering it the next day kind of thing? So again, no diagnostic study really needs to be done. And we'll talk about treatments after I go through nocturnal Eating syndrome, just because I want to put both of these conditions out there, because generally speaking, we tend to treat them in similar ways. So, again, night eating syndrome, there is a degree of awareness, there is volition. A lot of times, the patients that I've seen with this condition know they're eating, but feel incredibly strongly compelled to eat because they feel like A, they're so hungry they won't be able to go back to sleep. Like there is an overwhelming desire to eat. B, they feel like the sleep is related to the eating. Like they have to to eat that sandwich in order to sleep. I have to take my Ambien or else I can't sleep, said a lot of people who've come to my clinic. There's sort of a switch here. It's sort of the same thing. Look, Chris, I don't want to eat the sandwich, but there's something about that sandwich that allows me to go back to eat. And now we get into sort of the cognitive constructions that these individuals have created about their sleep as being part of this disorder. And what's interesting about sleep-related or night eating syndrome compared to sleep-related eating disorder, and I pulled this from a paper that I thought was really, really telling, quote, sleep-related awakenings are the cardinal feature of sleep-related eating disorder. Where a shift in caloric consumption to nighttime seems to be the cardinal feature of nocturnal eating syndrome, meaning that in sleep related eating disorder, these individuals are suddenly awakening, eating, and going back to sleep and having this sort of parasomnia like phenomenon happening out of the abnormal awakening from deep sleep. And when we look at sleep related eating disorder, it's generally happening. Within the first couple hours of the night, what happens during the first couple hours of the night? That's when we have deep sleep. So, sleep nocturnal sleep related eating disorder is generally thought to be a non REM parasomnia that's arising out of deep sleep. And we've talked about somniloquy. We'll talk about sleepwalking one day. All of these things tend to be abnormal awakenings out of deep sleep. Where really the night nocturnal eating syndrome is an individual who is just hungry and once is motivated to eat at night and as this author writes they're shifting there's a shift in their chloric consumption to being at night i've actually seen what i would consider to be night eating syndrome in a woman she had a child she would get up to nurse the child once or twice a night and while the child was nursing she would eat And when the child stopped waking up to nurse, she was still waking up to eat and felt like she was struggling to get outside of that, get away from that. So that can be kind of part of that as well too. So the diagnostic sort of criteria for night eating syndrome is a little different in the sense that um, when you're looking at the the, the diagnostic criteria, it's at least 25% of the daily food consumed is happening during a, during a nocturnal period. So that sort of pr- was a proposed sort of diagnostic criteria where you're getting a quarter of your eating is happening at night. At least two eating episodes per week happen upon awakening during the night. And other criteria that are thrown in there, there is a lack of desire to eat in the morning or anorexia, which you often see based upon the consumption of food at night, this can also be seen in nocturnal sleep-related eating disorder. Presence of a strong urge to eat between dinner and bedtime. Sleep onset and sleep maintenance insomnia are often sort of part of that. Um, mood is frequently depressed. There's a belief that in, or- that in order for that individual, they have to eat in order to get to sleep. Um, there is awareness of the eating The disorder is associated with a lot of distress. So if the person says, yeah, sometimes I wake up and have a bite of an apple, I don't really care. I'm not gaining weight. It doesn't really bother me. The distress is sort of thought to be a necessary component of the diagnosis. And again, it's not being better explained or secondary to some other condition. So the pathophysiology of sleep-related eating disorders are interesting and there's a lot of theories about these things many of which, or all of which could be true, the idea that this is a non-REM parasomnia, I think that makes a lot more sense for the sleep-related eating disorder, less so with nocturnal eating syndrome, but I do think, yes, like sleepwalking, like sleep talking, like sleep sexomnia we were talking about, these are just abnormal behaviors associated with an abnormal awakening out of deep sleep. Some people think it's a disruption of our circadian rhythm, which is telling us when we should eat and when we shouldn't eat, that we're getting circadian cues to eat at night when we shouldn't be getting it. Once again, that probably relates more to a nocturnal eating syndrome than a sleep-related eating disorder, but could be components to both uh, for sure. Uh, I, I think there's often a related depression or psychiatric condition these individuals uh, there's a much higher risk of anxiety in these individuals, previous abuse, um, depression. So we always want to be cognizant of those things, but not necessarily chalk them up to those things. Movement disorders, REM behavior disorder, Parkinson's disease type things, even restless leg syndrome. Are thought to be higher, have higher correlations with these disorders than the general population. Somebody even coined the phrase restless eating in the sense that when you have restless leg syndrome, there's often an associated eating disorder, which is why uh, one of the treatments we'll talk about in a minute was actually a treatment for restless leg to see how it would do in terms of treating these disorders. Finally, a genetic. is a a big component so just like sleep talking tends to run in families so could could sleep related eating Uh, and finally medications are really the first things that i ask about in sleep related eating disorders are you taking sedatives are you taking hypnotics zolpidem ambien is a huge one individuals with taking ambient have a much higher incidence of sleep-related eating than the uh, than the general pop- population. But there are also other medications besides Ambien, Mirtazapine or Remeron. There's a case-related report about that. Aripazole, which is also known as Abilify, there's a 2018 Japanese case report about that causing sleep-related eating disorder as well too. So a careful medication check could be helpful as well. How do we treat these medications? I think if there's an underlying sleep disorder, like sleep apnea, like restless leg, treating it often makes the problem much better. If there are individuals who are taking medications like Zolpidem, like aripazole, like Mirtazapine, coming off those medications could be helpful as well, too. There was a big push for psychotherapy and what was called environmental manipulation, meaning let's do some psychotherapy and lock up the refrigerator that generally was not particularly successful and often had some sort of unforeseen negative consequences. The weight loss was minimal. There was a fair amount of depression associated with that treatment. So it was kind of abandoned, not thought to be particularly successful. Rapinerol, which is the medication that we often use for Parkinson's disease or restless leg, often referred to as Requip, was shown in studies to be pretty successful for, for individuals. Um, particularly those with REM, I'm sorry, with movement disorders or restless leg syndrome types of things. They seem to be more successful with those individuals. And finally, tapiramate or Topamax. There was a study in 2020 by Winkleman. that were 34 participants. They were randomized to either get top, tapiramate or placebo. And not only did tapiramate seem to reduce symptoms in a much higher percentage of people than placebo, I think it was 74 to 33 the clinical global impression scale was very high as well too. Meaning when you ask people, how do you feel with this medication in terms of its success? They were really positive about it. I think it was again, about 75, 35 breakdown between people on the drug and on placebo. And then in terms of weight loss, the Topamax group lost eight and a half pounds on average. The placebo group gained a pound. Now, Topamax has actually been used independently as a weight loss agent, but I think there's also sort of the weight loss associated with the treatment of eating disorders at night, which was uh, responsible for this as well too. So that's it. That's really what I wanted to talk about. These two disorders, I wanted to put them on your map in terms of eating at night can be a problem. So if you have children who are waking up at night, and eating, or people in the house, and they're saying, "Look, I don't remember doing that." Or, "Yeah, I do remember doing it, but I feel like I can't stop myself from doing it." We want to take these types of disorders seriously, and I wrote about them in both my books: "The Sleep uh, Solution" Why your sleep's broken, how to fix it, as well as "The Rested Child." I believe, um, I think I wrote about it, the rested child. I, I know I did in "Sleep Disorder" in the "Sleep <laughs> Sleep uh, Sleep Solution" book. Uh, so, if you want more information, you could read about it there. Uh give us me a shout out if you have a personal story about sleep-related eating. It's DR Chris Winter Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Blue Sky and Threads. Find our page on YouTube. It's the Sleep Unplugged YouTube page with all of our videos. Find the Spotify playlist. We'll put some Coldplay songs on that. And that's it. I uh, hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And until next week, sleep well.